Welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Coming to you from an undisclosed location far from the downtown metropolis area. Far from the downtown metropolis area. Just freaking people out. Just like, hey man, did he lose it? Did he lose it? If you climb up in the oak tree in the backyard and look out on a clear day, you can see the downtown metropolis area. Oh my God. So this week, <laughs> the first half hour, Rob is aggravating. The last half hour, he's pretty good. Okay. It's part of what I get paid to do. Aggravate. This week, we are continuing our look at what the fathers of rock and roll, not my father, but the fathers of rock and roll, were doing in the 1970s. And I mean musically, not what they were doing socially. Socially. Or politically. But if that does pertain to the music, then yes, we will talk about them socially too. You know, we leave no stone unturned. I think it's going to get a bit complex. Let's just talk about the music. So you think it'd be too hard, too difficult to talk about all that stuff? Oh man! Hey, that's our job, buddy. Something that's our amazing. job, and that's what we're paid to do, even though we don't get money. I find it can be distracting, but I'll okay. do it anyway. Today we are featuring the very recently departed Don Everly of the Everly Brothers and his 1970 self-titled debut album, and since Rob, it's self-titled. He decided to call it simply Don Everly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when is an artist going to put his uh, money where his mouth is and uh, actually call the album self-titled? <laughs> All these self-titled albums out here, and it's just the artist's name. I thought he chickened out on that one, to be honest. A complete lack of imagination. Uh, Shameful. Uh, but we'll get to that during the review. I think we're pretty much in shameful right now. <laughs> well, there's uh, many things to be ashamed of. The big news this week, of course, is that I'm really tired. Oh yeah, yeah. This is like my well, like my third script in the and last nine days. There's no wind in sight. And there's no, <laughs> not including the research and everything else involved in putting this show together every week. And I like that part. I like that part. And it's just the writing of the script because it's like you got everything in your head and you're ready. Then it's like, oh, but I got to write it down. And it's, <laughs> and then you got to say, well, is that long enough? And it's like, oh. It's just going to fill up enough time. But, you know, all our estimations don't work properly and uh, we're always off time. I know, but you still got to do it. I mean, you can't have a two-hour show. You just got to, I guess, aim and uh, if you hit, you hit, and if you miss, you miss. And we don't get a week off for a couple of more weeks. Yeah. And so next week, we may have a, we're phoning it in episode, where we just come in with no script. Yeah. And just, just wing the whole thing. Hey, how about that thing that happened uh, to other people? What that was cool. Thing? I like that. What thing? Hey, well, how I'll about tell this? You. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in a sports thing. Is that the thing you're talking about? <laughs> See, already it sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> and if that works well, which it won't, we will do that every week. We'll wing every week. Yeah, so that won't work well, and we won't do it. <laughs> there you go. That's a condensation of words being used to say nothing. I have to admit, everything, everything about this show is fun. Uh, you get to listen to music every week. 
You get to look at fascinating, like read fascinating stuff and look for fascinating stuff. I love doing all that. I just don't like the script. Because it's tedious. You have to come up. It's like writing three songs every week. It's like somebody saying, because you have to be creative. You have to come up with funny stuff. You have to come up with stuff that people don't know. You have to come up with segments. And if you can come up with a computer program that could then do that for you, yeah, it really is. It really is to me like somebody saying every week you have to write three songs and they have to be pretty good. And then, uh, after a while, they say you can have a week off <laughs> until Christmas because Christmas is coming up, and then we get like, like almost oh, three we, weeks uh, off. Yeah, we go vacation to the Bahamas. Yeah, we always, yeah. Rob always goes to the Bahamas with, and with, I go to Cleveland. With, I love Cleveland. I go to the Bahamas with Dr. John. Dr. John's dead. That's very terrible. No? That's a terrible joke. Well, then who's the guy saying he's Dr. John? He wears a Hawaiian shirt? He's got a beard? Well, he may be doing things that <laughs> you'll soon find out. He's maybe a flim flam man. See, you get, you're talking a lot more in the first half hour, and I think it ruins the show. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna let people. It does. It it's d- distracts from the show. I do. I know it does. <laughs> I'm gonna have, let people decide if if Rob should be quiet more in the first half hour. Yep. Please write in and let me know, and I will silence the son of a bitch. I will. I know how to silence him. Make so just let me know. His best attempt. So, uh, yeah, and I pieced together a script, and I've done it 115 times, people. 115 yeah. times I have put a script together. I stopped so the it. score right now, as we speak... Is Gary one hundred and fifteen yeah. and Rob zero? <laughs> zero. Actually, I, you could almost put me in the negatives. <laughs> uh, speaking of sideshow, Rob. Rob, how was your week? Uh, did I have a week? I, I had an argument, and then uh, the argument ended, and uh, I resolved to do something. But then I didn't have the courage or the resolve to actually uh, do the something, and. Uh, yeah, typical week. How yeah, was your sounds... week? I told you my week. That's what I do every show is that I tell you what my week is for the first three minutes. But you... oh, I thought you were withholding my something. My God. <laughs> Where's the fucking monkey? Okay. I just told you for the first five <laughs> minutes of this show what I did for the week. I was daydreaming. I was listening to something else. For a daydream. I was... Uh... Okay, it's, uh, geez, we, that went so off the rails. I can't, could somebody help me lift this train? I don't know how you can call, I don't know how you can call this a show. This is shameful. It's a show in the second half. In the first half, it's like, what the fuck are these two doing? That's what it's, it just, it's just a bunch of verbal stumbling. <laughs> it is. And yet I have a script. Isn't that funny? It's yeah. just Rob interrupt. Yeah. Rob never used, it's only been like the last 10 shows yeah. that Rob has it been interrupting. So Fucking constantly. And now I guess I can't keep my mouth shut. Well, keep it shut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. I love doing that. We're going to do that again. I, I know I shouldn't do it two times, but okay. And this, okay, it's time for odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. Riveting. And this week on odds and ends, I just want to remind people that our annual Christmas episode is coming up in two weeks. Two weeks. 
If you knew people when we're taping this show, you'd be amazed that our Christmas episode is in two weeks. This is our present to you. (laughs) (laughs) And it's going to be so good, your gaunch and your panties, or both, will fly out the window while you're listening. Yeah, so when you listen, don't bother wearing them. Yeah, well, you kind of took my joke, but I will say this. <laughs> so you may want to go commando while listening. Thanks for taking my joke, Rob. Right on. That's, That's why the prospect of not saying as much is what is what we're talking about. You know, yeah, like, yeah that, that don't interrupt so much thing. I, yeah. I'm trying not to, but I'm not uh, trying hard. Now, fact, last year, we had a full-on COVID Christmas special with no guests. And some, it was somewhat low-key. Somewhat low-key Christmas event, special of everything. And uh, to be honest, with with COVID being much more in control than last year, we are having a COVID-schmovid Christmas special. Which means we don't care that much about COVID, so that's why we call it a COVID-schmovid Christmas special. That's what I have been called for years. Uh, we didn't have COVID for years. Anyways, <laughs> Jesus, I really have a tough time doing this first half hour. Trust me. I just, uh, we will be having special guests like, uh, Rob doesn't even know this. We'll be having impersonator Frank Travelina, Fred, sorry, Fred Travelina, Fred. who does, uh, great impressions of all your favorite stars like, uh, Bob Hope. How's his Jack Nicholson? And uh, maybe Jack Nicholson. He doesn't too much uh, no. impersonations. Yeah, <laughs> most of his impersonations are are late seventies and backwards. Oh, yeah. But if if you're if you really know your your history, it'll be hilarious. Um, we also have the comedy stylings of Shecky Green, which uh, I love. Shecky, yeah, Shecky's about ninety eight years old or whatever. But we promised we had oxygen here so that he could breathe. So it'll be quite nice. Remember the album Shecky and Shuggy? Me too. And maybe a song or two from the lovely Steve Lawrence, which will be nice. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> now, to be honest, I don't think we have enough time for three guests <laughs> on an hour show. So probably going to bump one or two of those gentlemen. Uh, just don't know which one yet. It's up to you. <laughs> no talking people because uh, we don't want them to uh, to know. We want them all to come here with the Chris- with the Christmas spirit, and then all of a sudden, Shaggy, Shaggy, look, my car's my car needs starting. Go out and start my car, Shaggy. And then when he gets back, it's like, why did you go and start the car, Shaggy? The show's over. <laughs> You're picking on the guy who moves the slowest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in all in all honesty, uh, I kind of like impersonators, so I think Shecky for sure is going to go. Okay, I was thinking Steve Lawrence would be hurt. And it me. really hurts me because Shecky's like 98. Yeah. And uh, so to bring, so him, all to bring him all the way yeah. out here for no reason kind of makes me sound like we're being prickish. But, uh, he could be dead tomorrow. And that's what he did for his last day. <laughs> Start my car. <laughs> ah, sorry, Shecky. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas and thanks for starting my car. Uh, so that's two weeks from now, our COVID-Shmovid Christmas special. 
What? How much time do we have? I'm going to go we into this. The... We have a lot. We have some time left. I'm just going to calculate this out in my head. Beep it up, 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 up. Um, okay, I'm going to do this quickly then. And then we're going to move into something. I want to, uh, if we had time, I want to talk about the recent passing away, recent as of our taping, of one of my favorite drummers of all time, uh, Ronnie Tut, the Tut Man, as I call him. The Tut Man. Uh, Elvis Presley. He's known as Elvis Presley's drummer. And when I was a kid, I used to, oh man, I used to, they had, uh, as a kid, I mean like about the time that Elvis died. And then they would show all, you know, they would show his Aloha from Hawaii special all the time on TV. And, uh, you know, all his concert stuff because that got flooded on the airways when he died. And I was always fascinated about this drummer who played like, like he was incredible. He was like, like Elvis made him work out. And I always loved Ronnie Tut. He always used to say, he always used to say, uh, there was no such thing when you played in Elvis's band as playing too much. Because Elvis loved like, you know, busy. to give her. Yeah, he liked yeah. busy. He loved busy. And he said, Ronnie Tut said he's the only performer and he's played with a lot. He's the only uh, performer that uh, loved Too Busy. He said, play more. Play more. Oh, that's my kind of guy. He did it, and it really made Elvis move. And, and uh, he always had to watch him because Elvis would make signals about doing this. And uh, uh, I just thought he was incredible. I was surprised when I was looking up after he died. By the way, he died on uh, October 16th. Um, I don't know how he died, but he was 83, so it was probably not anything uh, murder-related. I'm not trying to be light about this thing, but I really, I really don't. Uh, I'm just being honest. I think it was just, uh, you know, something to do with uh, old age or something to do with that. It doesn't really say uh, here. I don't think it's been. They don't. Uh, they don't really say a lot anymore. It's, have you noticed that they don't they don't say a lot about how people die anymore? And, no, I haven't. Uh, uh, I haven't seen too many obituaries lately. Yeah, they just uh, they just don't they just they just kind of say you know so and so passed away and we'd like you know our our. Uh, if I die a rock and roll death, I want people knowing. Well, I I just think that it's you don't want to speculate. There was a lot of times. Especially during the eighties and the AIDS era, the nineties and the early nineties, oh, yeah, yeah. where if you didn't say it, then they would say, "Well, maybe they're not saying it because he has AIDS." Of course, that era has kind of passed, uh, but I just don't like speculation because when you don't say why somebody died, then they this is the kind of the you're COVID free to age. use your imagination. Well, you use no, and it's a, a bad thing because first of all, you could say, "Well, he probably died. He was eighty-three of COVID," and that could not be true at all. And uh, a lot of the people's families uh, get upset. So it's their responsibility, I think, to, to say, to just silence everybody and say this is what he died of. I understand if, if somebody died of, uh, that's a, that they don't want to know of, like suicide or a drug overdose. But that does get found out eventually anyways because they have to have an autopsy. Anyways, getting way off the subject. Ronnie Tut played with, uh, of course, Elvis. He was most famous for. He was also very famous because right after Elvis died, he joined Neil Diamond's band and was in Neil Diamond's band, I think, up until Neil retired, which was just a couple of years ago. Huh. Yeah. He, uh, 
He's also known for being the the first member of Jerry Garcia's uh, solo band. When he put together his bands, he wanted he wanted Ronnie Tut to be in his band. Ronnie Tut is amazing. He played. He goes from Elvis Presley and Neil Diamond and Roy Orbison to Jerry Garcia and uh, Graham Parsons, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, Billy Joel. He played on Billy Joel's second and third albums, and yeah, he was he, he was just an incredible drummer. He was just I just loved. He would go and he would have like ten drums. You know, he'd have like one of those Neil Peart. Pure drum kits, just even before Neil Peart even recorded music, and he'd have one of these Neil Peart drum kits, and then the thing he'd have to play every single tom, because <laughs> <laughs> I guess Elvis liked that. So he'd be going like literally left to right uh, during a fill. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know what I know. If you've seen Ronnie Tut, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. But he never, he never screwed up. I've never seen him screwed up. And I always thought, man, I'd like to get a drummer like that. And I kind of did. I always thought, because I guess I saw Ronnie Tut really young on TV, that was one of my first influences on, man, when I get a drummer, I want a drummer like that. I don't want to, I'm not a, uh, a huge fan of, uh, because I think the drums are the most important instrument in a rock band. I didn't really want the... Uh, the uh, Charlie Watts, Ringo Starr type drummer. I always wanted the uh, Keith Moon, uh, Ronnie Tut type yeah. of very busy, but still, but still can can really be simple. Tasteful, yeah. yeah, yeah, And Ronnie Tut was the personification of that. What I wanted to say uh, that I kind of skipped over was I looked at the Rolling Stone one top one hundred drummers last night. And I was surprised that he wasn't on it. I actually thought that he would be in the top 50 drummers of all time, but he wasn't on the list. A lot of real bullshit, I hate to say it. Bullshit drummers, as in drummers like from 2000 on that I haven't even heard of, were on that list. And to not have Ronnie Tut on there was... Of course, it's just a list, right? Mm -hmm. And I always say lists don't matter. It's your own personal list. And in my personal list... Ronnie Tutt is in my top 10 drummers, favorite drummers of all time, for sure. So I just wanted to mention that quickly. Uh, the Tut Man, as I call him, his, uh, that band was just incredible. The TCB band for Elvis. Oh, you got James Burton on guitar and Glenn Harden on piano and Ronnie Tutt on drums. And it was just an amazing band. And uh, so we're going to move on to, uh, of course, what everybody knows, my favorite thing. It's not my favorite thing, but I like it. It's time again for one of my top 30 songs of all time. Okay. Ba -ba 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 -ba. <laughs> we should have theme music for that. Top 30 songs of all time. So Here they are. The, <laughs> they are. <laughs> so these are songs, of course, I hate this part. I always have to explain it. These are songs that are marvelous, majestic, timeless, perfect, and indispensable in any music collection. In other words, they're pretty nice. So <laughs> this week's song uh, is Wichita Lyman by Glenn Campbell. Which I have... You don't like that? 
Fuck you. You know, I heard it recently and... Uh, oh my God. I was trying to like it, but... Uh, Holy it. smokes. Are you kidding me? Uh, can, uh... We're going to have a little break here. <laughs> <laughs> this has been my... This has been one of my favorite songs since I was like 10. And I just heard it, well, last week, getting ready for the last week's show. And it's just as brilliant a listen as when I first heard of the 10. I don't know what Rob's thinking of. Maybe he shouldn't talk because this is not his top 30 list. Glenn Campbell's a hack. Don't be, just, don't be a jerk for jerk's sake. Holy smokes. I must. I got to do something. I get bored. I sit here. I listen to you talk. So... Anyways, I actually wanted, this is, I, I wanted two songs on here, but I knew I couldn't put two songs on this because it's only 30 songs. I would have loved to have also had By the Time I Get the Phoenix on here because um, that is just almost as good as Wichita Lyman, but it's not. Anything with Glenn Campbell and... Again, he makes a pithy remark about Glenn Campbell. I have heard all of Glenn Campbell's albums. I'm a big Glenn Campbell fan because I think he sings about the song that he's singing perfect. He has a voice that can be... Um, it's hard to describe. It has a voice that... that is relatively the same, but somehow, even when he shouldn't and sometimes doesn't fit a song, it still sounds good. Uh, and he's very underrated as a singer. I just think he makes everything sound good. And yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of filler because there's so many Glenn Campbell albums. But even then, his voice sounds good, kind of like Elvis was Elvis could make any piece of dreck sound good just yeah. because of his singing. I always said that about the uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. yeah, Frank Sinatra was the same. Because there are only, to me, there are only like maybe five singers that I could, <laughs> or six singers that can actually do that, you know. And uh, They just can't sound bad no matter how hard they try. That is so true. Yeah. No, that is so true. And Glenn Campbell is one of those people for me. I just, you know, I've heard him especially in the late 60s when they used to put a whole bunch of strings on his music and they would give him you know terrible songs to sing sometimes and he would actually make these terrible songs not half bad just by his voice alone and in 1968 like Jimmy Webb wrote these songs wrote a bunch of songs for Glenn Campbell and really, you know, it's hard to speak of Glenn Campbell without Jimmy Webb, even though, you know, the, the fraction of songs that Glenn Campbell recorded from Jimmy Webb compared to his song uh, book is fractional. Everybody remembers, oh yeah, yeah, uh, Wichita Lyman, Jimmy Webb, and Glenn Campbell. And I just think uh, the production on this from 1968 is... Uh, impeccable i everything about this song is what i would do but i would never think of <laughs> and uh i this is one of those songs i have uh 
a real hard time describing because I actually think it's very mystical. I actually think it's almost otherworldly because there are things like, like he's a lineman and then there's that, that little lineman type of Morse code in it. Like, and I just, it always gets me every time. Everything is perfect. The strings come in at a perfect time. The vocals are eerie. And and even the the, you know, the song is not all that complicated because of the music and the vocals. It sounds like a complicated subject and it's not. And that's why the song to me is always intriguing. Um, some comments about the Rolling Stone uh, rated it number 195 in their 500 greatest songs of all time. It has been referred... Oh, I agree with this. I've never seen this before. But I. this is a perfect thing of what I was talking about. It has been referred to as the first X6... I have trouble saying this word. You say it better than I do. Existential country song. Existential... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because I was thinking of existentialist. Yeah. Hey, you know what you're... You're a dirty existentialist. And then we get into a fight. Yeah. Existential. So... It is to me the of an existential country song. It's it has that mystical quality to it, and oh, it, it and it's amazing how this song after fifty plus years just never gets boring to me. In fact, I love this song more than ever now. Uh, I don't know why. It's just uh, British music journalist Stuart McConey, who I have who I have heard on the BBC called it the greatest pop song ever composed. And you know what? I would have it right up there in the top four of the greatest songs ever written. Um, it's one of those rare songs that seems somehow to exist in a world of its own. Not just timeless, but I feel ultimately outside of modern music, almost like an identity of its own. Like there is... There's this type of song and there's this type of song and Wichita Lineman. Oh yeah, that's a Wichita Lineman song. And there's only one of its type. <laughs> yeah, there's only one of its type. I really feel like that. It just has a, a spooky quality to it. Like it's almost not made by human people. You know, not made with human hands. It's almost like, well, if God were right to song, it'd probably be a lot like Wichita Lineman. <laughs> divine intervention going on here. Okay, here's a pinnacle for beautiful sounds. And uh, I love By the Time I Get to Phoenix, but I knew I had to make a choice. And if I had to make a choice, then by a sliver, uh, Wichita Lyman was, was going to be it. Uh, I love the beginning. Um, just the words. And he sings it. Glenn Campbell just knows how to sing something, depending on the words. You know how uh, a guy like Robert Goulet sings it and has no idea about the words he just sings it and tries to make it sound as nice as possible yeah right? yeah yeah when you're using your voice kind of as a musical instrument yes these are the sounds you're supposed to make to make that yes th this will be very soothing and nice to people it's always worked before yes <laughs> glenn campbell looks at the words and he knows how to say the words and it's a really a gift so few singers have this in mm -hmm. music history as far as I'm concerned. You can get into the character of the song. Yes. That's huge. That's, uh... that's very huge. That That's really 
as far as the yeah. singer is concerned, it can it can make it can make or break a song. It can make a bad song. They say you can't make a bad song good, but you can get pretty close if you got a singer who knows how to inhabit a song. And I love when he sings right off the bat. I am a. It's a very. It's not a complicated line, and it it, it seems not to stand for much. But when he sings it, it seems like one of the greatest lines in in pop music history. I am a lineman for the county. Um, I don't know. See, as I say it, it doesn't seem like much, right? But when you hear it, it's like, and he sings, I am a lineman for the county. It's really almost sounding like, I got to hear this song. <laughs> Why is he a lineman? Like, what's he doing out there? That's um, an awful lot of pride for a lineman. <laughs> but I tell you, if a lot, another person might have sung that song, you might not have cared about that. It might have passed you by. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a quality of the voice to get across the character of the song to make you actually believe that you know it's not a singer singing a song, but it's the person who has experienced these things singing the song. Yeah, yes, you want to feel the... like like the person who's singing yep. the song has actually, and I get that from from both these songs from Wichita Lyman, and by the time I get to Phoenix, which is an incredibly lyrical song, that's just very powerful. I feel every time I listen to it that that's Glenn Campbell and he lived through that even though I know he didn't. I still feel like he did. I, I'm not a doctor but I play one on TV. <laughs> I'm not a Wichita lineman but I sing one in my songs. <laughs> oh did you know Oh, this is an interesting fact. Uh, Guns N' Roses were uh, uh, covered their song when they got back together as Guns N' Roses in 2017. As the real Guns N' Roses, like with Slash in it. Okay. And they loved the song Wichita Lyman. And they covered the song live during their comeback world tour. And the the first live performance of the song was in a place called Edmonton <laughs> on August 30th, 2017. <laughs> I, I bet you nobody recognized it. They all thought it was uh, their own song. They probably did, unless he had a big speech about it. Oh. But probably they just went into it. And I would have loved, I'd love to hear uh their version of Wichita Lyman. Rolling Stone magazine described that version that they did in Edmonton as the most unexpected cover of the whole tour but they said it was great and uh, would love to hear that. I guess you could probably pop it up on the old YouTube and it would be there someplace. Anyways I don't want to talk I have a trouble like sometimes talking too much about the songs when really it should be listened to, you can never really talk good about music. You know, oh, yeah. about You're a special magic song. The, uh, right. You can only say it's good, but the, you can't say how good. No, you can never really express the magic of a no, song. And, the, yeah, someone has to experience it for themselves. So you're, you're just wasting my time. I'm pretty much just okay. uh, blabbering is what I'm, <laughs> just what I'm doing. <laughs> we'll be jabbering tomorrow, but we're blabbering tomorrow. And I have to find out like how many songs that we've got into. I don't. Uh, I know that we've, you lost track. we've probably got less than 10 songs before we've reached our thing. I say do another five and then count. It's a, it's a good thing when I can't come up with something. I can just say, oh, let's do my top 30 songs this week. It is, it's just a nice thing. Plus, I get to... The thing about this is that I try not to, like, if you're wondering why there's no Beatles or Stones or Who or anything like that, uh, they get covered enough. Yeah. And and this is about 
this is mostly about songs that are not on big albums. They're mostly they're mostly thought of separately, and they're not on like a Sgt. Pepper's or anything like that. These are mostly I'm not saying what him one hit wonders at all, but I'm just saying songs by artists usually not known for like uh, an amazing catalog of albums so that you would hear the song on an album. You would just hear it on AM radio or whatever. And so I've had that question come up before, like why don't you have like songs by all the artists I just named or or Pink Floyd or something like that. But Didn't they like, do any good ones? I think most exactly. of the rest of the population disagrees with you. Exactly. <laughs> unless, unless it was a song that was totally unbelievable, like if somebody did originally did a Wichita alignment, just like Glenn Campbell, then I would. But this is more about, you always take their, the whole bands like that, their whole catalog or their whole albums. Yeah. And, uh, I enjoy them in a different level. Plus you're not really educating anyone. Uh, if you're uh, doing a song like that. Uh, no, exactly. Exactly. I've all heard those ones before. This is, this is a lot about, you know, teaching people about not just, not just the big acts. You've heard those songs before that I, if I were to name, 50 songs expand this to 50 songs and had songs by the who and the stones and the beatles on there you would say yeah like i heard that song six million times why do we have to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's that's kind of why i decided to do this top 30 uh songs oh we won't have one next week next week i promise you i promise you it's it's one of our last episodes of the year next week and I will have the Judy Sill thing, thing that I have promised since the beginning of the year. It's only taken me 12 <laughs> months to get to it. Time has run out. The deadline is uh, approaching. I just never have felt that any of the episodes, the only episodes that I felt were proper for the Judy Sill uh, follow-up was when we did the Lady Singer Songwriters of, of California. Oh, yeah. Of Los Angeles. And then other things came up. We had other subjects because of we did those those lady singers that I couldn't fit it in. We just had too much material. So I've been trying to find, and I think next week is the the best way to do it. So I will get to that. Uh, this week, <laughs> exciting stuff. This week's album review is the debut record, the debut, as many people kids the, say now, debutal. The debuttal, <laughs> the debuttal record of Don Everly, of the Everly Brothers, simply called uh, Don Everly. He just decided, you know what, if I'm going to have a first album and it's going to be self-titled, I want it self-titled Don Everly. I think the friends tried to call him, in the, 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 um, call it Don's debuttal. Don's debuttal. Don's debuttal. I'm not doing it, that's stupid. Uh, and, and it was released in uh, 1970. Now to... Uh, tough to give background information on legendary <laughs> groups or artists or because everybody knows them. He's Don Flippin' Everly. He's Don Everly. He's got a brother the... named Phil. They were huge. Uh, they could have bought and sold you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't going to say that, but that's nice. Um, oh, I can't get back on my page. It seems that I'm stuck here for a second. Yeah, but the Everly Brothers, everybody knows the Everly. the Everly Brothers started in 1957. The thing about the Everly Brothers that people really seem to forget is that, that when they started recording and having hits in 1957, 
uh, Don, I think, was like 20. And Phil was like 17 or 18. So these guys were just babes. They were, young. They were babes. Yeah, when you they consider. had quite a bit of experience, though. They had a lot of experience. They had been performing as a, a brother duo for... I mean, they had their own radio show before they had a record With concert. the parents, yeah. With their parents. So they were... You get used to performing, so they uh, cut their teeth at an early age. And uh, I imagine got a lot to better a lot faster than people who start later in life. Punks, you mean. Yeah. yeah. Punks who start later in life. Yeah, uh, I hate those guys. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we were going to get to the Beatles because the Beatles, are, who were so influenced by... Um, the Everly Brothers, there was probably f fewer uh, inspirational acts to Lennon and McCartney than the Everly Brothers. They 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 really depended a lot uh, with vocal harmonies was based so much on the Everly Brothers. And it, uh, but the Beatles were one of the reasons that so many of these acts in the 60s they just died. They just they couldn't get they couldn't get anybody to listen to them. Everybody thought they were so old. The Everly Brothers in 1964, when the Beatles arrived and made them obsolete, <laughs> were like 25 years old, <laughs> and they were an oldies act already. That must be. I've never really thought of it like that, but that must be really hard. That, well, no, because at the time, you know, they said this is music for the kids. And people didn't really expect a long career in it. They just, uh, they, I, I imagine they didn't expect it to be that short. <laughs> no, <laughs> that I mean, run of uh, hits. And... They had, you know, but you have to admit, like, they had 15 top 10 hits. 15 top 10 hits between 1957 and 1962. That's amazing. And, you know, it started with Bye Bye Love. Oh, my God. Uh, Wake up, little Susie. All I have to do is dream. When will I be loved? Don Everly alone wrote Kathy's Clown. Just an amazing yeah. song. Uh, Until I Kissed You. And the uh, the ballad, uh, So Sad to Watch Good Love Go Bad. Among, you know, Bird Dog. Right. One, of the first, one of the first albums I ever got before I was a music, real music fan. I'm going to say this real quick. I don't want to make this a long story. I got, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but there is, I may, may not even have bought it. Maybe it was my mom who bought it for me. It was a oh, Happy Days album. Oh, okay. And it had uh, 10 songs on each side, 50 songs, along with the Happy Days theme. It had Henry Winkler as the fonts on the cover. I have looked it up on Discogs and I've seen it and I go, oh yeah, those are the songs. I don't have the album anymore. And um, I learned a lot. Like it had great songs on. One of the songs that I really loved was "Bird Dog" by the Everly Brothers. Uh, Everly Brothers were good for having rock and roll chords. When a time when there wasn't rock and roll chords, you know, like dun, 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 like uh, like block chords almost before block okay. chords. And it was almost like you could take so many Everly Brothers songs and make them heavy metal because there was. There was so many block chords oh, or so many thick chords to their music that they would sing, uh, you know, uh, wake up, little Susie, wake up, on the guitar. And that, if you slow it down, can be really 
uh, a heavy rocker. A lot of those songs could be heavy rockers. They really introduced uh, the the heavy chord into into popular music. Uh, also, Eddie Cochran at the same time too. Eddie Cochran uh, was one of the first people to use block chords. What is the original of Love Hurts? And the Love Hurts, the original that Love Hurts. That was the, uh, the, yeah. Yeah, Everybody's. beautiful song. My God, that's a beautiful My song. My favorite Everly Brothers song is uh, Walk Right Back. I don't know. And what? <laughs> all these songs, I think I've said it a lot of songs, and all of a sudden Rob comes up with Walk Right Back. See, I just love this. Oh, God, the Everly Brothers are just are just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Walked out on me. Amazing. I would, totally wouldn't have expected that from hearing their other songs. And I heard that on a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. I was like, I know this song. As you can probably <laughs> tell, we could go on about the Everly Brothers for a while. They are legends, uh, just like the other people that we talk about in this in this theme. God, that's a great song. Uh, I was going to talk about Bird Dog. Yeah. No, it's Animal. She's a bird. <laughs> And he's a dog. What a great rock and roll song. Anyways, um, about 1964, things dried up. There were no more hits. Uh, they kept on releasing music, but just because of who they were, uh, nobody was buying it. Everybody was, was, was just cooled off. They had moved on to the next generation, which was only... Seven years ago. Yeah, that's know? the quickest turnover I can think of. It is. Uh, it's very sad when you think about it because they still, all these bands and artists still had so much to say, but they, yeah. they weren't really allowed the platform that they should have been allowed to say this stuff. So they kind of hung on. They did a really classic album in 1968, a country rock album. Seemed like uh, 1968 was the year of the birth of country rock. They did an album called Roots, which everybody loved and nobody bought, of course. Um, in 1970, the year that this album was released, Don Everly, they decided to take a little break. And uh, you had two very different people. Phil Everly was very quiet and he was very conservative. And Don Everly was a party guy. Don Everly was... Uh, he was the guy that went to parties. He he had a he had a prescription drug problem with barbiturates. He was the guy that liked to fool around with the women, <laughs> and uh, he was the liberal. And like I said, Phil was the conservative. They were two very different people. There was a time when, and I remember reading this, but I don't know if it was the time before they first broke up or the time when they got back together, but they would just go to shows and play and then get away they would each play. Other. They wouldn't see each other before the show. The only time that they would see each other was when they were sharing the mic to sing. Then when the show was over, they would go their separate ways. And <laughs> they lived in different cities also. One lived in, in Nashville and one lived in California, I think. And uh, I'll just... So they just decided in 1970 to try some albums, or at least Don did. I, I know that I've checked up on Phil a little bit, but I can't remember. I think his first album was in 1973, maybe 1972 before they broke up for the first time, but I can't remember. Um, 
Oh, I just want to say that we're dedicating this to Phil, to Don Everly. The reason mm -hmm. I'm not doing the Everly Brothers, I have to point this out, should have pointed this out at the start, is that first of all, the Everly's only released two albums in the 70s. Um, uh, 1970, 1972, something like that. They only released two albums and then they broke up. And I thought that since Don just passed away in August, that it uh, would be nice to feature something that's not featured at any time, which is one of his solo albums. And we can, we will do an Everly Brothers. We only have two of them to pick from, but we will do an Everly Brothers at some point when we go back to The Fathers of Rock and Roll. That's why I didn't pick an Everly Brothers album initially so i picked this for don everly as a tribute to his brilliance and also a tribute to his brother uh phil who died uh of um something my sister has uh copd yeah copd and uh, a couple of uh, about two, 2014 very sad to hear about phil going to uh last man standing by the way i remember as soon as i heard this news in late august Last Man Standing, Jerry Lee Lewis, because everybody said Don Everly and Jerry Lee Lewis are the last left of the first generation. And I go, man, but Jerry Lee's like, I don't know, like late 80s. And Don passed away. And I said, yeah, Last Man Standing is, is Jerry Lee. And he always said he would be the last man standing. <laughs> it reminds me of the time when the, the World War One veterans were in their 90s and 100s and there was only a few left. And... Yeah, it does now remind it's the you rock that. veteran. And they'd always say that. They'd always say, oh, there's still one more uh, veteran from the uh, uh, fought on this, uh, Civil War. Battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'd be like 120. <laughs> Up the 70s, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember that very distinctly. <laughs> they would always say that. The last Confederate soldier still alive. Wow, we and, sure have lived a long time. And we've lost BS. all of them. And uh, But, of course, time goes on, and you're going to lose all of them. But I remember when all of them were alive. Except yeah. for Buddy, of course. I remember when all of them were alive. So it takes you back a little bit. We're going to, just before we review the album, we're going to have to say very quickly about the Everlys. I mean, we could do it when we do the Everly Brothers, but it has something to do with, with Don's solo album. Don did his solo album and Phil did, you know, his solo work. And then they got back together. They just felt that they had to do some songs that were more single just for one person then that would be suitable for the Everly Brothers sound. So they both did their solo albums. Uh, but then they just they just weren't talking to each other anymore when they got back together like they were before, which I don't think they were. They're, you know, brothers in bands, as we all know in rock and roll history, are very contentious and never, almost never good. Yeah. Almost They're, never yeah. good. Yeah, always, always hear about them uh, fighting at one time or another. Well, finally, in 1973... They broke up in the worst way you can break up, which is on stage. Uh, Don was drunk, and Phil, for some reason, just had enough. Smashed his guitar on stage and stormed off. And Don told the crowd, oh, the Everly Brothers died a long time ago, so who, who cares? Which he regretted saying, but he was drunk. And uh, he played the rest of the show by himself. A very sad way to end. They didn't talk until 10 years later. They didn't talk for a whole 10 years. Brothers. I can see that being brothers. I have a brother who I haven't talked to in a long time because he's an ass. But um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just funny how they're together all the time for like 20 years making music or whatever. And then they don't talk to each other. And then um, 
you know, Paul McCartney wrote a song for them and said, you guys should get together. And they did. They did a concert in Royal Albert Hall. They did about three or four albums after that. They had a very successful comeback. And then the old personality conflicts, like Don being the way he is and Phil being the way he is, just came back and they began doing their shows without seeing each other again. The last time they appeared together was in 2006 on the... Uh, Another contentious group, but not brothers, Simon and Garfunkel. They guested on the Simon and Garfunkel tour. And after that, they just kind of went their separate ways and didn't really want to talk to each other. They just uh, they just had a, had enough. You know when you've had enough, but you're not, you don't really hold hard feelings, but you just kind of like. Yeah, when you accept that someone's not going to when, change. Yes, yes, when you accept it. Yeah. Have people like that in my existence? Yeah, I know they're not going to change, and all I can think is, run away and never come back. Yeah, that's exactly how they <laughs> did. They did. There was no big thing in the paper. There was no big blow up like there was the first time they broke up. It was just like, Look, you know, we've took this as far as you could. I'm the way I am. You are the way you are. We're not having fun doing this. We've never really had that much fun since we came back together. But you know, the music was always fun. But I can do the music on my own. And they just kind of went their separate ways. And that's kind of the story of the Everly's. I find it kind of sad. But you don't know what happens in those 10, 20, 30, 40 yeah. years. 40 years is a long time. Actually, 50 years. 50 years since 1957 to 2007 that they were together. At least on or off. You don't know what happens. You don't know. You only know the big highlights. Yeah. But you... But if you only take the big highlights, it seems like they had a lot of good music at the beginning and then a lot of battles afterwards. But who knows? Anyways, we have to hurry because we haven't even got to the album yet. But the just like Chuck <laughs> Berry and just like everybody else from the 50s, these people have huge stories. Yeah. So to not touch upon them at least is wrong. There's a guy named Don Everly. Here's my review of his album, There's So Many Stars. We're out of here. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a wild album. <laughs> it is a little unusual. This is a This, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you straight off, people. I'm not going to hold... Uh, Rob, don't, don't try and hold me back. Okay, I'm going to let you go here. <laughs> like lie Rob's, down. Like Rob's ever tried to hold me back. But it would be useless if you were held back. I have heard... I have heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of records. And this one, I got something new on. <laughs> it was a strange one. Uh, oh, okay. I love Don Everly. Let's just, before I go into this, I love Don Everly. I love the Everly Brothers. But, you know, sometimes you got to tell it like it is. But the album does start actually really kind of neat. Starts off with a cover version of Tumblin' Tumbleweeds that I think was, it's not one of my favorite songs at, at all, but I love the way he did it. But uh, then we get to Don, I, I don't know, I could, I could really talk about this a long time because it's a fascinating album. It is. I it's not boring that, uh... in any sense of the matter, right, Rob? <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing that kept me interested. It was the uh, the songwriting is uh, there were the parts that made me think, okay, I'm just going to give this one listen. But I had listened to it again, and uh, as I did listen to it again, uh, this one grew on me. This one, uh, 
I was hearing things that I wasn't hearing on previous. Yes, instances. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I was wondering what Rob was going to think about this album. Oh. I was wondering all week what Rob was going to think about what I was going to say about this album because um, it is an interesting album. I, it was an album that, and this is, brings back my point, which I have said many times on this show, is that I hate mediocre albums. I can, I can, I love albums that are fantastic and complex, and I love albums that are terrible but are interesting. I don't like mediocre albums at all. Sorry, that was a little bit of a pop-up, which I didn't want on my computer. Um, I love albums. I don't love albums, sorry, that are mediocre. Like we just did uh, Shoes. Yeah, Again, yeah. Bring Back <laughs> Shoes. Very mediocre. Oh, boring. Not much to talk about, but it's not bad. It's just, it's average. It's not yeah, a bad album. There's nothing that grabs you. No, I don't really want there's to listen to that, that again. You? Nothing grabs you? There are a lot of albums which I hate, but I listen to because they're they're fascinating albums. And uh, there's some, most of the weird songs on here, and trust me, there are a lot of weird songs on here, are written by Don Everly. Like there's three cover tunes on this one. I just mentioned one, Tumbling Tumbleweeds. Uh, when I start, when I stop dreaming, which is a Leuven Brothers song, okay, which is cool. really strange because Leuven Brothers were pre Everly Brothers in that they sang harmonies and sang together. It's funny he would do like that song solo, but he does it. It, it was very nice. It's the only time there's any resemblance of of kind of sanity in the record is when he does cover songs, and then he uh, he kind of. Ends the album in a way with uh, a nice cover of Patsy Cline's Sweet Dreams, which uh, again is a little bit weird, but pretty straightforward also. But the Don Everly songs are are wild, man. Yeah, this definitely struck me as more of an experimental thing than a... Um, uh let's say the, do a really polished album yes and that's what i want to get to exactly that word polished because it sounds there's so many things like i could talk about this album for another 50 minutes if we have maybe i will i don't know i'm gonna because go i crazy. find this album fascinatingly <laughs> bad and why i find this album fascinatingly bad is because first of all i have never heard an album that seems, and all my time, I've never heard an album that seems like a lot of songs weren't even mixed. <laughs> yeah, I got things to say on the mixing and the production and, uh, and the vocals. There are seriously, either they didn't, and Lou Adler produced this album, and Lou Adler is, is one of the best known producers in music history, if not just in California. He produced uh, Jan and Dean, he produced The Mamas and Papas, he produced so many acts. He's well known for, of course, uh, doing the Monterey Festival along with John Phillips. He is not a slouch. He's he a professional. Was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall. He's of Fame inducted in into the Rock and Roll Hall. Twenty thirteen. Mm -hmm. Very good, Rob. <laughs> but it sounds like either they were partying and weren't listening to the mixes. Or that some of the songs weren't mixed at all. And I'm not joking. And I'm yeah. not saying this sarcastically. I listen, especially the first time I'm listening to it. And I'm this going, doesn't sound like a, a bad garage mix. That's this exactly what like I was thinking. <laughs> I sound, this doesn't sound like 
a bad mix that they would take home really quickly to hear what they did last night, yeah. uh, but or a garage mix, or even a demo mix just to hear what it sounds like. We got we made those many times just yep. to hear what we did that day, but it would be done in two seconds. This, this is sounds what like the levels like. were deliberately put at those places. Yes, you know than... what? It was almost <laughs> like it was almost like this is what I want to. It this, this is it was so crazily unmixed. It sounds like it was done on purpose as to that's what they wanted the mix to be. That's the style that they might have been going for. Which, which I've never heard hell? before. I've <laughs> never heard this. I've never heard an album so crazily mixed before. Except maybe Iggy and the Stooges' Raw Power. But there was a reason for that. This is just really wild. And I want to bring up a couple of instances. Uh, one of the songs, which is fascinating but terrible, is a song called... There's a couple of them, but February 15th. Yeah, that one uh, had weird parts to it in that, uh, you know, I listened to it and then uh, uh, when it slowed down at the end, I thought it shifted to the next song, but it was still the same. Yeah. The same song. February 15th has this part, yeah. Rob, and I, I'm trying to remember if you can remember this, but it has a part. And if you've ever seen a movie, because a lot of these songs have different parts to them. Yes, They're not they'll just be playing the way big through. and then they'll drop off to something very sparse. And uh, they, and then it'll go back up again into yes. something totally different. Very interesting. <laughs> not exactly successful in any sort of way to me, but very interesting. I thought it was really well written. And the, the, the thing I noticed about these, some of those parts and changes and that, they worked really well. And then others didn't, and like in the same song. It gave, it gave to me, and I'm missing my point here, but you're making good points because I don't want to lose mine. But it sounded almost like they're playing it. This is what it sounded like. Like they're playing it for the first time, like a Dylan would do, would say, okay, this just follow me, and, and then we'll do rehearsal. But it's not a rehearsal. It's actually We're going to take, take this take. Yeah, that's yeah. what it sounds like most of the time. These are great players. This is uh, Jim Keltner on drums. Uh, see, now I don't have my nose. This is Jim Keltner on drums, one of the greatest, played on every single record in music history. You got uh, Steel Guitar, Sneaky Pete Kleenow, as everybody knows, like from the Blind Flying Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons. Uh, you've got Spoon Oldham, uh, famous for being for songwriting and being a Memphis musician. Uh, Chris Etheridge on bass, also known for being in the Flying Burrito Brothers and uh, playing with a lot of country rock acts. These are great musicians. I, I don't know these musicians personally, but I know all of these musicians from, from many records. So they're not, this is not a hack band. No. But I, they play, they're playing like, I've never heard this song before. And then all of a sudden, Don goes into something different and slows it down. And they're going like, I don't know. And what I want to get to is some specifics in that, in the song February 15th. If you've ever watched a movie where you have a movie star trying to pretend he's a musician and he gives, you give him an acoustic guitar and he goes and he bangs on it and he goes, I'm going down to get my baby. And then he plays a chord again and slams it. <laughs> this actually happens in this song. <laughs> and it freaks me out because the guitar is so loud. Don Everly's playing the guitar. There's a nice acoustic guitar playing and it slows down like all the songs do at a point. In the middle of the song, it slows down. And all of a sudden, the, the, his acoustic, Don Everly's acoustic guitar is way up in the mix 
just with his acoustic, this other acoustic playing some nice melody, and then boom, he just plays one chord and then sings a line. And then he boom again, and it's <laughs> loud, and you're going, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> as, they, as things gone crazy, and then it kind of ends, but you're left fascinated, like, what were they doing? <laughs> Another song, uh, well, Safari was just a complete, to me, was a complete weirdness that didn't work. I loved work. Safari. It, was <laughs> just, uh, it reminded me uh, somehow of uh, the Kinks Ape Man that uh, kind of disassociated from the species, uh, yeah. looking at the species point I of just view. didn't think, you know, you're right because it is like an Ape Man, but it's just not well written and it's it's no. and it's weird because it has that strange no mix to it again. Words wise, it kind of sounded a little uh, the, the almost half finished, but uh, yeah. Yeah, melody wise, it really uh, did hit me as... Uh, it had a lot more emotional impact than what the, the words could back up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, one of the things that, the only other song I really wanted to point out was the song called My Baby, in which uh, the song is kind of played really loud, and then it goes into like a, a soft uh, chorus, and then just when he's about to sing, yeah, I still can't get over this, just when he's about to sing a really nice finishing thing to the verse and chorus, which is my baby. All of a sudden, the organ comes in real loud and drowns him out. Not only drowns out the my baby, but when the music starts back up after after he said that, yeah. all of a sudden, the organ is even louder. <laughs> there was a few songs where uh, the actual words were drowned out by, by the music. Like you could hear very clearly what he was singing and then uh, moves into the next part. And uh, you can't hear what he's uh, singing. Yeah, that's what get, got me thinking. First of all, they didn't mix this thing. And then I'm thinking, did Don Everly say, listen, I got to have this tomorrow. Did you mix it? <laughs> I can't remember, man. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> I was wondering with the vocals. Um, they sounded a bit uh, flat. And I'm not talking tonally flat, but the low on energy. Uh, yeah, they were, you know what? Good point, Rob. I'm I, glad you're on this show. I've got <laughs> two possible theories for that, and I can't figure which one it might be. One is, uh, you know, uh, if you're trying to get out of a contract or you're doing a recording you're not pleased with, uh, you tend not to bring your A game. But uh, the, the also the other time you might sound like this is if you haven't sang in a while and you're coming in cold. Oh, see, that's not what I was thinking. See, that's what I'm wondering. I was waiting to see what you were going to say. First of all, it can't be one because he's dying to make this record. After okay. all these years of playing with, the, with his brother, he's, he's dying yeah. to make this record. And you can tell that however misguided this record is, he wants to express his feelings that he couldn't express with the Everly Brothers by writing a song about Africa and safari and and all these songs. He's really pouring his heart out. And B sounds plausible. C was I thought that he was a little bit inebriated. Oh, okay. during the singing. That was my that was my conclusion. And I don't. We don't want to say that any of these are possible. We're just saying. We are theorizing. Uh, we are just theorizing. We don't want to say that this is truth. We're just saying that it sounds like it. I'm hearing he's definitely got the uh, the, 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 the tonal knowledge in his head. But uh, there were parts where, yeah, it, it sounded like uh, a little almost short of breath. or yeah. um, It's very strange, isn't it? It is. And I did think, I did think... Uh, and that would make you think he's sabotaging the record, which he isn't, but it would make you think that. And I understand that. My first assumption was, man, this is a very liquidy, cokey sessions. 
And that could not be true. I'm just saying that I'm just throwing that out there That's because it sounds so strange. There is something going on here. Yeah. I, I can't this does not seem like a regular is, This is not the Don Everly I've known from the Everly Brothers. It just this is not the Don Everly you grew up with, people. And but you know what? Not experimental. Like, I do like that. <laughs> you know what? It is a, I, I'm serious. If, if, you, if you like offbeat records... Especially by name artists, yeah, uh, and experimental. It's not experimental in in like it's just experimental. Yeah, it's not and a bunch of weird. It doesn't noises. go by song structure that you know of. Okay. Yes, yeah. but the, the the parts are still they're really beautifully written. A lot of them. And, there's a lot of there's a lot of good instances in this album. Yeah. There may not be songs that you go, I love that song way through, all the way through. Don't drink the water. It's just stupid. Why would you not drink water? That <laughs> is mentioning is all the water. There's like a uh, human waste in that. And I think that's not going to get too much radio play. <laughs> I remember that. I remember it's like it's it it's, it smells like human waste. That's, that's not a like, mental picture. That's not, uh, that's not going to be single number one. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. I think it was the second one. The second side, baby, I love you. It started off weird, and I was listening to the. That was uh, my baby. They they printed that wrong. Oh, okay. On the thing, they did print that wrong. Yeah. The one I was talking about with, with where the organ came in too yes. loud. Yeah, that was about six minutes long. The first minute or so is that intro that I'm listening to and thinking, uh, you know, I don't think I'm gonna like this based upon the intro. And then uh, once the song drops in, it's uh, this really good hard blues that uh, it was like, yeah, man, I like the rest of the song there. Uh, but that's the, my my whole point about. But the then I didn't like it because they. See, I like parts of some of the songs he's written, but then I'm going what like they do with perfect it. opportunity. What they do with it, everything yeah. drops down to like him saying "my baby," and then all of a sudden the organ comes and he don't get to hear it, and it takes away a lot of things that he's doing gets taken away by either no mixing. But I think there was a I think there was a purpose which I don't know. Uh, and I'm yeah. thinking, I'm still thinking a lot of this mix was done under influences. I really do because it just doesn't make any sense to drown out vocals and to have the organ so loud when the music comes in that it actually makes you go, "What the fuck?" Who wants to go in and, and listen to a record? Let's experimental where you want to go, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, the one thing that uh, that did uh, keep me coming back to it and kind of enjoying uh, listening to it was. Uh was the weird songwriting and the other part was the musicianship when i first heard it i was like uh, you know uh this is not uh, very good but as i was listening to it multiple times that's part of what kept me fascinated with those interesting simple things that they were playing well that's what i mean rob it's a fascinating album <laughs> i don't i don't <laughs> have stuff on here that definitely is uh holds your interest Yes, <laughs> but the point for me is, which I think is different from you, is I think it's a disaster. I think it is absolutely, like if I heard this and it wasn't Don Everly and it was just some guy who sent me a demo tape of this exact same music. First of all, I'm going to say two things. If a guy sent this to me, I'd say, you know, go work on your songs, be a little bit more focused, blah, blah, blah. This is just going, this goes over, I hate it. And secondly, if I was a music executive and he gave this to me, Don Everly, I would say, no, I'm not releasing this. I'm sorry. You got to, you're, it doesn't sound mixed. It doesn't sound like, you know, it sounds like you guys are a little bit intoxicated or whatever. I think you should either record the songs or get new songs, but I'm not going to release it. 
that's exactly how I feel. I don't, I think it is a disaster in, in one aspect and that what he wanted to get across didn't. And I don't like any of the songs like fully. Um, I just like parts of them. Yeah. But it's a fascinating disaster, which I have said many times. That's why I love albums that can be terrible, but can also be immensely interesting. What were they thinking? Almost every song I'm thinking, what were they thinking? <laughs> and sometimes in a good way. I don't mean in a bad way yeah. all the time. Because it's like, oh, if they just would have done that for the rest of the song, that would have been great. Yes. But then they change, and it didn't change good. Sometimes the, it does change good. Sometimes it doesn't. So this, I'm giving, I'm going to let you finish up here with what you're going to say. I give it, when, I'm sorry, I only give it a star and a half. I think it's, I just think it's a disaster, but a fascinating disaster. <laughs> I like it from the point of view of uh it kept me interested when I was listening to it. It wasn't something I'd voluntarily choose to listen to. That's the, the problem, though. There was a lot of good parts that... Uh, the builds, the drop-offs, the changes... I've never heard an album like this, Rob. Have you ever heard an album like this before? I've never heard an album. I've heard hundreds and hundreds of records. I've never heard an album like this before. I never. And I've heard some strange fucking music, man. <laughs> And I've never heard an album that was as almost singer-songwriter-like, but still so fucked up. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, let's fuck it up as much as we can. <laughs> and um, what's your rating on this? I was really giving it a two and a half, but after listening to it a few times, I give it a three just because the songwriting so intrigues me and the, the playing. Mm. It's weird. But you know <laughs> what? It makes me so want to hear his other two albums. <laughs> that are on there I do I so want to hear because he only I, I should have stated this but Don Everly only released three albums and in fact I think he released them up to 1974 and he never released anything I mean, after. yeah I've seen the one uh, with the title from 1974 yeah okay there was an album from, I think there was an album also from 1973 and those are his only three albums and after listening to this I am absolutely pumped it's funny because I just said the album was a disaster and worth only a star and a half, but it is fascinating and I would love to hear what his other two records are like. I know they're probably a hell of a lot more sane than this one. Yeah. But it just intrigues me about what he's what he what he accomplished with this compared to like if he got this all out of his system and made a couple of boring albums after that. You know what I mean? I know, because this definitely sounds like an experimental late 60s kind of... Uh, it does. Starting on uh, some... Uh, the, uh, doing a bit of drug music. Which, one, of those, uh, one of those things where, you know what? The, the record company even says, you know what? You're on your own. You can do whatever you want. You're Don Everly, and this is your first solo album. Do whatever you want. Let's see what happens. They're not expecting this, of course. No. <laughs> but They're expecting more like that's what they a, heard before. But that's why Don Everly was Don Everly. He was... He was the liberal of the group. He was the guy hanging out with Jimi Hendrix. Whereas Phil Phil was at home with his kids. Don Everly was the guy who was hanging out with Hendrix and Joplin and taking substances with him and being a real rock star. And he was he was only 32 years old when this record was made. That's the same age almost as the Beatles in 1970 when they made it. So he's a young guy. He's not an old relic. He's still in his early 30s experimenting with music. 
And that's why also you put that all into context. It's so fascinating because he says, I got all these ideas and it sounded like he put all of them on this album. <laughs> but, and yes, it's a disaster for me, but that's not necessarily bad. I'd rather hear an album this interesting be a disaster than hear him just play a whole bunch of country cover tunes and give it three stars and never want to listen to it again. what i think people want to hear and um, uh, i'm going to play it competently and uh, not uh, raise too many eyebrows and well this raised a few eyebrows oh yeah <laughs> this is an eyebrow raiser guess what <laughs> as usual we're way over time uh, but this was a fascinating show for us that's all i have to not say not only for the album because i've been waiting to not only review this album for a week but i've also been anxiously awaiting what Rob thought about it. Rob actually thought exactly what I thought he would, which was he would rate it about three stars and he would like the adventurousness about yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> but he wouldn't think that it was altogether successful. <laughs> no, like I say, uh, I thought there were problems with the production and that uh, when you had builds and drop-offs and changes that uh, work sometimes and don't work others, that's a, it's a production thing. I mean, you're supposed to go back, listen to it, uh, find the parts where it doesn't work. And fix I would them. love to hear these songs in a demo form. Of just, of just Don just doing these songs on guitar mm. before he recorded them. I just would oh, like yeah, to hear yeah. what they sound like. I really mm. would. I hope that gets scooped up one day and his, you know, his family finds it or something because I would love to hear these songs as they were written. I'm not saying... I'm just, you know, I say they're a disaster because they kind of are. They very much are a disaster. But I can hear good things out of it, out yeah. of all that, out of all that strangeness. Yeah, some of it got buried a bit by the strangeness. Yeah, exactly. Uh, gotta okay. go. That's it. Wow. We're, We're out of here. We had a great time. <laughs> That's our show for this week. I know. I'm sorry. We tried. We try and make it 50 minutes every week, and sometimes we fail miserably. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, our last album by a 50s rock and roll legend. We will be presenting our last album by a 50s rock and roll legend, recording in the 1970s, if that makes sense. And also remember, two weeks we will be having our, our Christmas special. So next week we might have a script. Maybe not. Depends on how burnt out I am. <laughs> Who knows? But until Bring then, it. we've had a great show. We've loved this one. Okay. We love all of them, but this one was extra special. <laughs> okay. So everybody, as always, take care and stay safe. I just